turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. The Faucian Bargain. Here we are, 15 months later. We still have to be subjected to this smiling, smug, possibly evil person uh, telling us what we're allowed and not allowed to do. With him, it's always about the masks. He loves the masks. The CDC has uh, been kind enough to give us permission to go outside without them in the last couple of days. But listen to this from Fauci today with Savannah Guthrie on the Today Show. You know, it sets up a strange situation, especially when you start talking about kids. I'll tell you a story. I walked to pick up my little girl at the bus stop yesterday after the CDC recommendations came out. I took off my mask. I waited for her. There was no one else around. She got off the bus with her little mask on. She had to wear her mask. I didn't on the walk home. When are kids going to be able to take off those masks and play outside at the playground? You know, that's going to be the same thing that I mentioned a moment ago. It's going to be a situation. Well, first of all, kids will ultimately wind up getting vaccinated. But you want to have some activity in that direction before they do. High school kids will likely get vaccinated as we get into the fall term. And children of any age will likely be vaccinated by the time we get to the end of the year. But let's not talk about the end of the year. Let's talk about the immediate or intermediate future. When children are out in the community, when you have 30, 40, 50,000 new infections per day, they are unvaccinated now because children can't get vaccinated now. And for that reason, they are more at risk of getting infected because they are out in the community where there is a lot of infection. When the community level starts to go way down, the risks to everybody, including the children, is going to be dramatically diminished. Oh, boy. Who's still listening to this guy? I mean, other than the people in the media who slobber all over him, including Savannah Guthrie, who you just heard. Somebody made a Faucian bargain, and we're all suffering for it. And when we come back, I'm going to talk to a guy who's co-authored a book by that name. It's called Faucian Bargain, the most powerful and dangerous bureaucrat in American history. Stick around. It's finally time to replace that old leaky roof, or how about some new siding? You can count on Windows R Us, the area's premier exterior replacement company. This is John Steigerwald. With over 50 years' experience in the home remodeling industry, Windows R Us offers repair and replacement for roofs, siding, gutters and downspouts, windows, entry doors, even decks. A leaky roof left unfixed can lead to mold and mildew. Maybe you lost siding during the recent windstorms. Don't put those repairs off. Windows R Us offers 12 months no interest financing and no processing fee through Dollar Bank. Want new factory direct replacement windows for your home or office? Choose from 100% vinyl, commercial aluminum, wood, and composite. And how'd you like to never clean your gutters again? For a limited time, get a free gutter filter with the purchase of complete siding or roof replacement. That offer's valid through 63021. All with 12 months, no interest, no processing fee, and backed by the best warranty in the industry. Schedule your free estimate and inspection today at windowsrpittsburgh.com. That's windowsrpittsburgh.com. From executive producer and MyPillow founder Mike Lindell comes the hilarious new faith-based comedy, Church People, with a special guest appearance from Mike himself. Church People is a hilarious, heartwarming reminder that the gospel is enough. It all starts when America's youth pastor, Guy Sides, realizes he's stuck in the megachurch marketing machine and wants to find his passion again. But when Guy attempts to get back to the heart of ministry, he is thrust into the throes of dissuasion his misguided church leadership from performing a strange and potentially blasphemous stunt for the upcoming Easter service while navigating his own personal problems. Church people will leave you laughing out loud while ultimately reminding you of the true meaning of the gospel. 
Watch Church People at SalemNow.com. That's SalemNow.com. Use promo code Pittsburgh for additional savings at SalemNow.com. Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 3388 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 3388. Enjoy. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, and I'm excited to announce my new product, My Slippers. They took me over two years to develop because I didn't want just an ordinary slipper. My Slippers are meant to be worn all day long, no matter what you're doing, whether you're inside or outside. My Slippers come with an exclusive three-tier cushioning system that you won't find in any other slipper. It combines two layers of foam, including my proprietary My Pillow foam and a patented impact gel made from U.S. soybeans. My three-tier cushioning system is going to help relieve pressure points, provide that micro support you need for all day comfort and help prevent fatigue. Not only that, my slippers are made with high quality leather and a premium indoor outdoor sole that make them extremely durable. I personally guarantee they're going to be the most comfortable slippers you'll ever own. This is John Steigerwald. Visit MyPillow.com for deep discounts on all MyPillow products including the new My Slippers. Click the radio listener square and enter promo code STAG or call 800-716-8087 Remember, use that promo code Stag. This is the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250, The Answer. I don't know about you, but I tuned Dr. Fauci out a long time ago. I think he's an out-of-control, maybe a little bit insane, a germaphobe. But he still has the big guy's ear, and the media are still slobbering over him and uh, asking him to give us permission to live uh, our normal lives. Todd Erzin is co-author of Fauci and Bargain, the most powerful and dangerous bureaucrat in American history. He joins us now. Todd, thanks for being here. It's my pleasure. How are you? Good, good. How are you doing today? Well, I'm excellent. Uh, just trying to chip away at this uh, thing called the cult of Fauci. Uh, it didn't start with him. Uh, we got a lot of work to do. He's uh, all over the map. He's in your school boards. Uh, he's That's throughout right. medicine. He's in all of your colleges. So we got a long way to go, but we got to start somewhere. So we've had a lot of dangerous uh, and powerful bureaucrats um, over the last couple hundred years. What makes this guy the most powerful and dangerous in history? That's a pretty pretty uh, tough um, tough name to get. Well. Uh... The look, it's the look in the mirror, the man in the mirror. It, it is out, us. He's not uniquely evil. Uh, it, and uh, there's been crises that have challenged this country just like COVID. The problem is we are more easily seduced as a people than ever before. Uh, we are more educated pound for pound, the amount of time most people spend in something called school than ever before in American or even world history. But at the founding of this country, we stood the fundamentals enough that we would fight up for those, fight for those things. Uh, we would say, draw the line in the sand on tyranny. Here, mostly, we just like to be comfortable. Even people who like conservative ideas and are kind of entertained by them, uh, will they really uh, fight for them? I mean, they're in your backyard, in your state. You're the state that gave the nation Rachel Levine. That, uh, people <laughs> sat. And people me. sat. Yeah, people sat and allowed that to happen. Uh, before COVID even came along, we were dealing with what's a boy, what's a girl, what sports, what bathrooms do they get to play? So this COVID's just the latest thing to come along. Fauci's the latest and greatest one to come along. But the problem is us. We think we can put this country on cruise control. And there are enemies within our borders that hate this country. And they're not from the Middle East or anywhere else. They're born and bred in America. America and they're trying to fundamentally transform this place we live in, and Fauci is one of them. Yeah, you write in the book, and this is a quote from the book, uh, figures like Fauci are rarely the cause, but the effect of the culture from whence they came 
Only in the last 50 years or so of American history would it be possible for an ubercrat like Fauci to be conceived. So that's pretty much what you're talking about, is how the people have changed in the last 50 years then, I guess. Oh, yeah. The simple truth of the matter is that, and we knew this at the beginning about uh, the data coming out of Italy, maybe not China. We know how much they lie. But out of Italy, we knew the demographics of this thing. It, it hit the elderly, the infirmed, those with comorbidities. Uh, we could have rallied around these people, and this could have been, a, been an American success story. We didn't have to sacrifice our uh, our rights nor our economy, but we chose a different hopeless fear-based path. Again, that is fundamentally in us because the simple truth of the matter is if we had to pick a pandemic, we would have picked this one. We honestly would. It wasn't coming like a thief in the night for our kids or for the average American 40-year-old worker. It doesn't mean old people deserve to die, but you know what? Old people, my dad died a week and a half. He was 73 years old. He died a week and a half before the lockdowns hit. He, he was in he was in bad health. He probably there's a good chance he died of COVID. They called it pneumonia, kidney failure. But I, I, I think it's an even shot that he died of COVID. He, prob- he was probably going to die fairly soon of something else. That's sad. I miss him. But the simple fact of the matter is we could have stepped up and chosen hope instead of fear. And we chose fear over and over again. And as you said, we choose it to this very day. Yeah, well, your dad is my age, and I'm so I'm in that group, or was my age, and, and I'm in that group uh, that's supposed to be terrified of this, and sh- should have been from the beginning. Um, but uh, your dad was—I mean, were, were, were people and deaths like your dad's used by people who are promoting the fear? Uh, yeah. And do you resent that at all? Oh, I absolutely resent that. I, the number—I've lost track. I, it's somewhere around 600,000, the reported number of COVID deaths in America. You know, I bet my mortgage that if we ever get an honest accounting of this, uh, deaths with COVID versus deaths from COVID, it's nothing remotely approaching that. Uh, the, and, and, and that was baked into the cake, too. That's not unique to COVID. The way we process uh, health care allocation and how we pay for things uh, and how we game the system to make sure the money gets moved around to the pots we want to, it was clearly advantageous for the hospitals uh, to bill as much to COVID because that's where the cash cow was. And uh, I pray we get an accounting one day on that because I, I, I said we uh, Fauci himself he, at the very beginning in January 2020, he didn't believe in asymptomatic spread. He's the one who said this was likely going to be a bad flu for most demographics. That exactly what it was. Yet in over a matter of weeks, he went full on panic porn. And we have a lot yep. of serious questions to ask about why. Yeah. And here, here's another quote from the book. And I, I went through and found I, I didn't get a chance to read the whole book, but uh, I was able to look at it quite a bit this morning and found a lot of good stuff in there. Here's here's a quote I liked. Um, if you were afraid of the power you've seen displayed by this man, none of us voted for and who many of us didn't even know existed just two years ago, you're right to be. But fear all the more of the prospect that Fauci, if unchecked, will be the baseline for whatever comes next, and rest assured, something wicked this way comes. So tell us what's coming. Oh, my goodness. I don't know if I have the capacity to imagine that, but you nailed the fundamental thread of this book. Again, it is about Fauci. It is about COVID. But the introduction is about we the people, who we are mm-hmm. as citizens, who we need to be, who we must be, who we were intended to be. This thing cannot go on autopilot. And if we continue to make comfort our idol, there's nothing sinful about comfort. But we just, we've come to crave it and like it too much, and we're not willing to put in the work to sustain it. John Adams said, I study war so that my sons can study politics, so their study, students' uh, uh, sons can study the arts. And now we think like our legacy is just to have a Netflix and, and uh, hang out while other people do the hard work. This expert class it was always going to game the system to its own advantage if we let it. And it's not just in medicine and healthcare. It's in the law. It's in education. Look at what to the school uh, boards did in both wealthy communities and poor communities to lie to the people about why school could not, couldn't return. I mean, they're just returning right now in California. I'm not exactly sure what the state of things are in Pittsburgh or Philadelphia 
Uh, but we've been open the whole time. My kids have been in a public school in a semi-rural community on the outskirts of Des Moines for the entire year. They don't have superpowers. So this has all been propaganda from the very beginning. And as Rahm Emanuel said, never let a good crisis go to waste. That's why the sentence you just read is so important. There's no returning to normal. When COVID's gone, they're going to pick the next thing and they're going to shove it down our throats. You know why? Because we've given them the impression for a long time now that they can get away with it. There's never any accountability for what they pull off. That's the scary thing. So when you say something wicked this way comes, you're not necessarily predicting anything specific. It's just that uh, that the precedent has been set and the people who like to control us uh, the people who work in government, especially uh, on the left, they've now uh, done a nice experiment, not only just in the United States, but all over the world. And they found out that people, if, if you told them that they had to hop on one foot uh, uh, outside in order to avoid being sick, you'd see about 80 percent of the people hopping on one foot. So they've they've yes. they've succeeded in that. Yeah, well, as you said, you were something closer to my father's age. When you got into uh, this business, could you possibly have conceived that you would be spending the last five years talking about the gender wars? I don't think you could have even have imagined that. No. But now no, we, are constant, we are being told we're at every turn. We're biggest. We're sexist. We're, uh, Bruce Jenner is running for uh, governor in California now. And if... It's a fundamental war against reality, which is why I said I can't quite imagine that. Uh, you, you can't quite, if you're sane, you can't imagine their preferences because they're fundamentally insane. I, I, I don't know what else to tell you, uh, which is why it's so important that we have the opportunity right now to hold somebody like Fauci accountable. We take this opportunity. So that baseline you mentioned is not further push down the road to a place where we cannot legitimately pass on a thing called America in anything but the vaguest connection to its founding to our children. We're talking to Todd Erzin. He's co-author. Who's, who's your co-author, Todd? You want to mention him? Well, he he's the big boss. He's uh, Steve Dace. I'm on the Steve Dace show with him on Blaze TV every day from mm-hmm. noon to 2 Eastern time. And this, he's written about six books. This is our first time collaborating together. Yeah, and and you can't write about Fauci without writing about his flip-flopping. Has any bureaucrat with the ability to change our lives to the extent that he's been able to ever gotten away with more flip-flopping? And and I mean on major things. Oh, I know. I I don't think so. And here in the news today, it's breaking, um, you know, as we speak, uh, the the, uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo's uh, hiding of the death toll numbers there in New York is New York is even worse than we thought. He and his staff manipulating the numbers, refusing to report them, hide them, telling them not to report them. Now, remember, Dr. Fauci is a fellow New Yorker, and he said New York did it the right way. That's a direct yeah. quote. Well, right. he's not just a fellow New Yorker with the Cuomo's. We lay out in this book that he, they have a family relationship, a friendship that goes way, way back. So when there's all of this is going on, the hiding the numbers of the people are dying while Cuomo is writing a book on leadership. Uh, while he's on TV with Fauci, Cuomo and Fauci talking about which one's De Niro and which one's Pacino and yucking it up. So, listen, for all of those crimes that are increasingly coming about, out about Cuomo, Fauci drove the getaway car, basically. And there he still sits, the most uh, handsomely paid federal employee in the entire government. Uh, on every news show, every Sunday, a year, a year after this farce. And now Gretchen Whitmer is there in Michigan for all her failures, uh, locking down. It's, uh, COVID right now is harder hit there than any place else. They've locked down harder than any place else. What's her answer? Let's mask up two, three, and four-year-olds. And Fauci has nothing to say about that. This is preposterous. It is criminal. And what evidence changed his mind on the uselessness of masks? I mean, because as you mentioned, he started out, uh, it's a famous uh, uh, clip where he says, he, he actually has a, a disdainful look on his face, a dismissive look on his face when he's asked about masks. He said, nah, yeah. It's ridiculous for people, and he used the expression walking around, for people to be walking around with masks. It's just, it's, we don't need that. So what, what evidence changed his mind, and how long did it take him to change it? Well, 
it's less about the specifics about masks, but he changed his uh, mind about asymptomatic spread and about whether this was in a bad flu. So many different things. Even when he was getting advice right at the beginning that ran contrary to his from uh, uh, Stanford, Oxford, Harvard, people had differences of opinion all the way along. So mm-hmm. it begs, it's less about masks than it is about perhaps what he found out about what was going on in that Wuhan lab. Cheryl Atkinson, of, uh, formerly of CBS, she just put out another investigative report. Steve Hilton has done it in the past. We document that in our book. This was not from some wet market. This, this came out of the Wuhan lab, which Dr. Fauci has been affiliated with for a long time. He's been funding the work of that lab. And I think it's as likely as anything else that he, something he found out about the the work they were doing there and how it got out of that lab that caused him to change his tune because whatever this gain of function research that they're doing there uh working on viruses ostensibly they say for ultimately healthcare cures Uh, But it was viewed as dangerous enough that no less than Barack Obama himself put a temporary halt on it during his administration. So I think serious questions, to answer your question, need to be asked about what Fauci knew and when he knew it about what was going on in the Wuhan lab. That's really interesting. Um, And boy, it's a big one if it's true. Uh, So what you're saying is that he he initially he dismissed it as the flu basically when it when it first showed up and i think he didn't care about uh stopping travel from china and he uh, and and correct that, then all of a sudden he changed his mind and you're saying that uh he had some knowledge of exactly what this virus is or was because of his involvement with the lab where it may have originated and that's why he changed but he couldn't say that I mean, he—he's—he's. He's, go ahead. Yes, that I think it, I think you're absolutely right, and a lot of this is thinking out loud. But when listen, he's, the man's eighty years old. He's been doing this for thirty plus years. He's not stupid. Mm-hmm. So, but he's changed his mind. And even if he, let's say, he just changed his mind about masks, but the other things were consistent. Okay, but he's been so all over the map and so immune to other points of view. The level of hostility that he's had for other doctors like Scott Atlas, when Scott Atlas, who's not an epidemiologist, but he is a doctor, and he's actually uh, an expert in healthcare public policy. So the broad-based decisions you have to make about how to manage all manner of healthcare decisions uh, and not just the specific patient. Dr. Fauci uh, drove him out of town. Anytime Rand Paul, another doctor, questions him, you can just see the level of animus Fauci has. And that's because... In the healthcare industry, which is just as cliquish and prone to high school uh, juvenile nonsense as any place else, there's clearly a lot of people that rallied around Fauci. They like being part of the cool kids club. They didn't ask serious questions. And Fauci has been insulated that, by that for a very long time. If we if we had a media uh, that was anything close uh, to what any legitimate needs to the media needs to be we would have been asking questions like you're asking right now a long time ago and we would have gotten answers will he ever pay a price for his incompetence or will the media see to it that uh, statues of him start popping up around the country because they're still slobbering all I, over him yeah you and i both know the latter is far more likely uh he's He's 80 years old. This administration right now is in love with him. We're only, whatever, three months into this. We got a long way to go. So I, I, I just I can't imagine him personally ultimately paying a price. I, our job uh, is hopefully at best to make sure that history remembers that he was one of the greatest con men in all of American history and be a, uh, a warning signal for all we do in the future in terms of this extra class. If, you, if you're an expert, you should be held accountable at an expert level of status. And right now, we let this guy say and do whatever he wants to with no repercussions whatsoever. I've got to take a break, uh, and I'm out of time. I could go on with you for a while here. I've got a lot of good stuff in there. Todd Erzin, co-author of Fauci and Bargain, the most powerful and dangerous bureaucrat in American history. Check it out. Thanks for uh, joining us, Todd. appreciate it. Thank you. Keep fighting, Pittsburgh. All right. We'll be right back.
With SRN News, I'm John Scott. President Biden with his first joint address to Congress this evening at 9 Eastern. University of Virginia political analyst Larry Sabato says the president is trying to take full advantage of Democratic control of Congress and the White House while it lasts. Essentially, Biden is making hay while the sun shines. While he's got these narrow Democratic majorities, he's pushing for as much of his agenda as possible. That will end one way or the other. Tonight, President Biden pitching a $1.8 trillion investment in children, families, and education. The Federal Reserve, keeping its ultra-low interest rate policies in place, a sign that it wants to see more evidence of a strengthening economic recovery before it would consider easing its support. The Fed left its benchmark short-term rate near zero. The Dow is down 63 points, but the Nasdaq is ahead 28. This is SRN News. If you're a radio listener, one thing I'm certain of is that you're not tuning in to listen to me. So I'm sorry about the next 45 seconds. But we have specifically chose this station because we think we're similar, and we'd love for you to see why our mortgage team might be a good fit for you or someone you care about. One, we've got a direct lender advantage. Our mortgage team is an arm of a bigger company who is a direct lender. There's no middleman, which means our company gets to use its own money and make its own decisions within its own walls, an advantage that often allows us to get you a better rate, saving you monthly and lifelong money. Two, our faith is a big deal to us, and we're open about that. If we seem like a fit for you, we'd love to talk. We are United Faith Mortgage. UnitedFaithMortgage.com. Nice. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Melville Park Road, Melville, New York. Licensed mortgage banker. For all licensing information, go to NMLSConsumerAccess.org. Corporate analyst number 1330. Ryan Vreck, NMLS number 65233. Equal housing lender. I license in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, or Utah. Dennis Prager wants to set the record straight. It's important to understand this is all a manufactured issue. There is no widespread police racist murdering the blacks. So the entire reason for this transfixing the country is an enormous, gigantic, unprecedented lie in American history. The Dennis Prager Show, weekdays at noon, right before Sebastian Gorka at 3 on AM 1250. The answer. Learning has definitely changed these days. What hasn't changed is the unwavering support parents received from their local Christian school. Many were quick to adapt to the new normal with remote classes taught by caring teachers who pray for students and their families every day. With many schools offering half-price tuition for first-time enrollees, like Portersville Christian School in Portersville, PA, it's a great time to consider Christian education. Find a school that's right for you at theanswerpgh.com slash tuitions. If you're thinking of replacing your carpets due to pet stains and odors, you must try Genesis 950. The reviews are amazing, as this is one product that actually works. With water, it breaks down the bonds of stains and odors, so they're gone for good. Its antibacterial component removes pet odors from carpet and padding. It can be used in a carpet cleaning machine, and it's green, so it's safe for your family and pets. Genesis 950 is made in America. If you are tired of pet cleaners that don't work, it's time to buy Genesis 950. One gallon of industrial-strength Genesis 950 makes up to seven gallons of cleaner. But Genesis 950 is not just for pet stains. It's great for bathrooms, kitchens, floors, upholstery, and grease stains. Consider Genesis 950 before purchasing new carpets. Genesis 950 has great customer service. Order one gallon direct at Genesis950.com to receive a free spray bottle, free shipping, and $10 coupon using code PETS. That's $10 coupon using code PETS. That's Genesis950.com. Discount only available at Genesis950.com. Genesis 950. Much cheaper than replacing your carpets. AM 1250 and FM 92.5, The Answer. WPGP, Pittsburgh. A division of Salem Media Group. Listen on The Answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart, or radio.com. Stuck in traffic? We've got The Answer. Got ourselves a pretty typical Wednesday afternoon rush out there. Some volume pretty much everywhere you go. Parkway East on the inbound side, slowing into the Squirrel Hill Tunnel and also making your way down to the Fort Pitt Bridge. On the outbound side, also some heavy volume from Bates Street to the Squirrel Hill Tunnel. Parkway West, a few volume delays as well. Inbound Green Tree to the Fort Pitt Tunnel. Outbound 65 slows to the McKees Rocks Bridge. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, The Answer. Weather. 
Cloudy and mild tonight with a thunderstorm this evening, followed by a couple of showers late. Thunderstorms can bring hail and damaging winds. We'll see a low of 61. A thick cloud cover tomorrow with a couple of showers and a thunderstorm. It'll be breezy in the afternoon with a high of 68. Strong winds gradually subsiding Friday. We'll see intervals of clouds and sunshine with a shower in places. Friday will reach a high of 56. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Drew Shannon. You're listening to the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250. The answer. I'm a baby boomer. And if you're one, uh, you know that there was no bigger deal than Davy Crockett when we were kids. I know that's a million years ago, but it was a hugely popular Disney series that was on TV every Sunday night. Back when you had a choice of three uh, channels to watch. So, you know, everybody watched it. Anyway, we all knew the story of the Alamo. Apparently, the woke among us are coming for the Alamo and Davy Crockett now. Um, not to be, I don't think anybody should be surprised by that. Brian Preston of PJ Media, who's in Texas, is pushing back. He joins us now. Always good to have you on, Brian. And uh, you do seem to come up with a lot of interesting stories from Texas. That's why I seem to be yeah. calling you a lot. Hey, yeah, thanks, thanks for having me on, John. You know, Texas is the size of a country, and we have uh, the news headlines. The most, I guess, <laughs> for that. Yeah. There's a lot going well, on here. You've done a lot of research on the Alamo based on, just on the piece. It's a pretty extensive piece that you wrote uh, at the uh, at PJ Media today. Um, I have to ask you, though, one question before we get into this. Uh, was Davy Crockett the last man standing, swinging his rifle at the Mexicans who came over the wall? That's what I saw in the movie when I was you know, <laughs> eight years old. I hope it's true. You know, we don't know for sure. There's no way to know. Um, there, there is an eyewitness or two, uh, I'm thinking of Madame Candelaria, who on the one hand, I believe she said, yes, he was. And on the other hand, she said he wasn't. Uh, Her word isn't always that reliable. She, Mm -hmm. for instance, has Crockett, Travis and Bowie dying within a few feet of each other. And we know that didn't happen. So we don't know for sure. What we do know is from other eyewitnesses, that he did do a great deal of shooting, and he did do he did take many more with him uh, than his own life, and that he died fighting for freedom there. We know that. And how he died at the end, I think, is less important than the overall deed. I personally, right. I, I, I personally think he did die fighting, but, you know, you hear others who say he was captured and executed. The last man yeah. standing may actually have been Jose Trudeau La Soya, whatever that's worth. Uh, say that again. He was his last man... Lasoya. So there's there's a sing, there's a single Alamo defender who was actually born in the fortress, who grew up there, and mm-hmm. who died there on the Texas side fighting against okay. Santa Ana. His name is Jose Teridio Lasoya, and he his body was found just inside the doorway to the church. So if there was a last stand, that's where it would have been, and mm-hmm. he was one of the last men standing. So what's Politico's problem with the Alamo, the, the website Politico? Yeah, their, their problem with the Alamo is the same problem they have with Texas in general and the same problem they have with any sort of heroic history. There, there's an effort, as we all know, underway right now to tear down American history. The Alamo is a huge piece of Texas history, and it's a huge piece of American history because Texas later became part of the United States. And the, the Texas Revolution really changed the nature of the North American continent. There was a dictator in Mexico running things in a Napoleonic way. There was the United States running things as a republic, and they clashed on Texas soil. That's what was going on in Texas. And what Politico is, is up to is what the left is up to, which is tearing down American history so they can replace it with a kind of year zero that, that makes our founding, our original founding, illegitimate and corrupt, and they would replace it with their own their own vision. Yeah, I... I, I... I th- I think that you could say that the Alamo, uh, the story of the Alamo is a big one, regardless of how much of it is myth and how much of it is truth. Uh, it's such a big thing. It has been such a big thing anyway, because it's uh, it's one of the most notable examples of uh, people being willing to die for freedom, uh, yes. and and that that the left hates that. Yes, and and the Alamo defenders did know that once the siege was underway. There's, there's been this sort of counter-myth, I think, developed that they didn't know what they were fighting for or they didn't know why they stay or, or, or what have you. Once 
Santa Ana lays siege to the Alamo. They know what's in store. When he lays siege on February 23rd, 1836, he demands surrender. He has his band play a song called Big Whale, which means slit throat, and he flies a red flag at them from a nearby cathedral. All of that said, I'm going to kill everyone inside. No quarter will be spared. They knew what was coming. They also knew they could get out. Santa Ana's lines were not impenetrable. Once again, gets out on February 24th. They knew it was possible to get out. They didn't. So they knew what was coming, and they died for freedom. So they, they knew that they could have uh, snuck out the back door? Yeah, absolutely they knew that. The Santa Ana lays siege on February 23rd. His forces continued to gather, and there was more than one courier who got out seeking reinforcements and, and, and checking out the situation. One scene is the most famous. Uh, they, the bottom line is they knew they could piecemeal, probably not in one force, but piecemeal they could have gotten away. They didn't. And that says a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I see that there's a new book coming out you write about uh, called Forget the Alamo. <laughs> uh, any idea yeah. why the author thinks we should forget about it? I mean, it's one thing to, like, uh, inspect it and and maybe clear up some myths or try to tell a, a different, you know, be a little bit more in-depth study of it, but to forget it? Yeah, forgetting it is obviously a reaction to Remember the Alamo, which was the battle cry at San Jacinto on April 21st, right. 1836. And that was the victory uh, through which Texas won its independence. So we have said in Texas and around the world, Remember the Alamo since 1836. This book is saying don't, and it's actually tearing, it's, it's tearing down a statue. I mean, it's tearing down the battle cry at the victory. And so I haven't read the book. I don't know all that it says, but based on the pre-press that they're doing before the books roll out in June, it sounds like they're they're going after every piece of the Alamo and trying to tear down every part of the story. And so my role is simply throwing facts out because we've seen this before. We've seen this over the past few months, not just from this book, but there was a piece in USA Today uh, last year that, that did this too. And, and it is this effort to tear down the story and, and turn it into a racist myth, turn it into something that, that it's not. And, and also to say, for instance, that the Texas Revolution itself was based on slavery and was illegitimate. It wasn't based on slavery, and it wasn't the only part of Mexico that was in the revolution at the time. Uh, about a third to a half of Mexico rebelled against Santa Ana. Texas just happens to be the state that won and got away. Yeah, and uh, how much of all this is because uh, Davy Crockett, uh, Jim Bowie, and, and William Travis weren't perfect, uh, as if anybody's claiming that they were? Right. A lot of it is based on that, and a lot of it is based on the fact that they were white. There's this whole strain of this revisionist history that's trying to make the Alamo and the Texas Revolution a white supremacist struggle, sort of, of a precursor to the Confederacy, and it was none of that. Actually, the, the defenders of the Alamo were one of the most, what you might call, cosmopolitan fighting forces of the age in that they were, they were a racially integrated force. Uh, you had a significant number of Americans, of course, but you also had many Europeans, Irishmen, Germans, and Englishmen, and you had a significant number of Tejanos. The Tejanos were the Texas-born Mexican citizens or of Mexican lineage, and they were the only native-born defenders of the Alamo. And... and so it was, it was, there was nothing white supremacist about what they were doing. Uh, one of their most trusted men was Juan Seguin. So the, the, the Tejanos were Mexicans fighting against Mexicans. Uh, yes, yes that's exactly And revol- right. re- rebelling against Mexicans. Yeah, right? so there were a number of them. As I bring up in the, in the piece, uh, there was a, a governor by the name of Salinas who rebelled against Santa Ana in a state that wasn't even Texas. It was Zacatecas. And his rebellion and what happened to the people there, they got massacred, informed the Texas, Texan and, and Tejanos in Texas what would happen to them if Santa Ana caught up with them. So Santa Ana's actions played a large role in their decision to fight against him. In fact, his actions started the war, no question about it. Um, and so that, that kind of uh, destroys the narrative that it was a bunch of white supremacists and a land grab yeah. stealing land from, Tex- uh, from Mexico, right? Yeah, it certainly does, because you had, like I said, about a third to a half of Mexico, most of northern Mexico, was in revolt in this same period. And many of the high officials in Texas 
came from Mexico. They were Mexican officials originally who rebelled against Santa Ana and then escaped to Texas and became part of the rebellion. And uh, uh, you could make a case, I think, for uh, it would have been a lot better if the uh, if Mexico would have been swallowed up by the United States and it would be our 51st state right now. I think the people of Mexico might be a little bit better off than they have been for the last, I don't know, 200 years. You could make that case. I mean, the United States certainly in, in the latter half of the 19th century stabilized as an expanded West, and Mexico arguably has never truly stabilized. The Civil War, of which Texas was a part, continued for years afterward, and of course has sprung up over the years ever since, and now we have the cartel wars going on down there. So you could make that argument. I don't make that argument in the piece. The, the argument I make in the piece is simply that this revisionist effort against the Texas Revolution and the Alamo is wrong. It's, it's wrong on the facts, and it really filters out, I think, in, a, in an unfair and even racist way, the contribution of the Tejanos who fought for freedom and who died for freedom at the Alamo. Yeah, and what's interesting, too, is that here we are 200 years later, and uh, the big story is that people are risking death to, to cross through Mexico or come from Mexico to get into Texas right now. Right. Yeah, to the you tune know, of about a thousand a day. Yeah. In fact I yeah. did an interview yesterday with a woman who lives on a ranch uh down about fifty miles from the border. And uh, to give you a little preview of the interview that we're gonna show on PJ Media before too long, uh she says this incursion that's coming from the border is affecting ranches and communities fifty miles inland. It's it's that extensive. People are not hearing about it. We're talking to Brian Preston of PJ Media. He has a piece up about uh, the Alamo and how the wokesters are uh, coming to get it, coming to get the, the Alamo and Davy Crockett and everything, oh, the whole story. Uh, so as you said, there's, the accusations of racism and white supremacy have to be in there somewhere. That's, uh, I don't know, if is that the main motivation of this movement to forget the Alamo? Well, it's you know we're dealing with an iconoclast moment right now where, where, where we have a number of folks on the left who are going after statues, they're going after the founding of the country through the yeah. 1619 Project. They're going, they're, they're going after everything that was unique and special and heroic, frankly, about the founding of the United States and the founding of Texas. So going after the Alamo is one of their big prizes. If they can take the Alamo story down, if they can take the, the heroism that Texans and, and everyone, frankly, who knows the story, grow up with, uh, that's a major achievement for the overall iconoclastic effort to destroy the United States uh, from from its foundation. So uh, Santana was a pretty bad guy, wasn't he? I mean, uh, even in the yes. the little bit that I know about the Alamo, what I've read about it, and the movies I've seen, I don't think he's portrayed nearly as uh, bad as he actually was. He was a butcher. He was a butcher, and I think that's getting lost in a lot of these modern-day discussions. I mean, he could be accused, frankly, of ethnic cleansing based on our current understanding of the rules of war and how a civil war is waged. And I say that because when he attacked Texas, he actually differentiated between the Anglos, who were Europeans, Americans, Englishmen, all that. He differentiated between the Anglos and the Tejanos. He promised more mercy to the Tejanos, but to the Anglos, he, he treated them as pirates. He had a law ran through the legislature that specifically treated them as pirates which meant if they are captured, they will be executed. There's no quarter given to them. So, again, you could argue that he was engaging in ethnic cleansing, and as for his actions starting the war, he portrayed himself as a Federalist in the American mold when he didn't have power, and he, he won the colonists in Texas support by doing this. And then as soon as he sees his power, he switches to become what they called a Centralist in those days, which was a dictator. He seized all power into himself. He got rid of the legislature. He, he really disemboweled the Mexican government. That started the war. When he throws mm -hmm. away the 1824 Constitution of Mexico, then you get not just Texas in revolt, but all the other states that I mentioned in the piece in revolt, too. It wasn't just Texas. It was widespread. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, somewhere I saw, I think it was you wrote about it, that um, he would uh, set, he would, he, after he captured and executed the people who fought against him, he would set them on fire and then put their ashes on the side of the road. Yeah, that was specifically at the Alamo. After the battle was over, it was a very quick battle. After the battle was over, he hit all of the Alamo dead other than one who had given a captive burial. 
but all the other ones are dragged out to at least three pyres or three piles that were along a road that was called the Alameda in those days, Commerce Street in San Antonio now. And he had the pyres put by the side of that road, which was the road in and out of San Antonio, uh, and burn them to send a message to the rest of the revolutionaries that this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to be denied a proper Christian burial, and I'm going to use your corpse for my own politics. Uh, this was a brutal act, in, and we really think is that this would, this would revolt us today, and it was a brutal act even in those days. His own officers bristled at his brutality. They expressed shame after the Battle of the Alamo. They expressed shame after the massacre at Goliad. They ultimately carried out his orders, but they were not happy about it, and it contributed to his reputation over time of being a butcher, which he was. Yeah, and um, the... the uh, the, the, uh, were the were the bodies of uh, Crockett, Bowie, and Travis in, included in that group that were just set on fire? They were. They were all three. So after the battle, after the battle specifically, he orders the alcalde of the local mayor to bring their bodies to him. They were the revolutionaries he feared the most that he knew were in the Alamo, and one of the reasons he wanted to take the Alamo was to kill the three of them. He was scared of the three of them. So he has the alcalde bring their bodies to him, identify them, and then put them on the pyre so he knows they're dead and they're burned and, and he knows that they're gone. So, yes, their bodies were included in that. Wow. Are they, and are people out there are out there giving uh, Santana the Che Guevara treatment now, trying to romanticize <laughs> him a little bit? You know, that I hadn't thought about that angle, but that is a, that's a good way to put it. We know that Che Guevara was a brute who murdered everyone who disagreed with him, frankly. He's and butcher, Santana yeah. was... Yeah, he was a butcher, and Santana was very similar in, in that regard. And, yeah, there is an effort to rehabilitate his reputation. You'll see these same leftists who are attacking the Alamo defenders. They'll, they'll, they'll argue that Santa Ana had offered them everything they wanted, that he had disbanded or, uh, or made slavery illegal, abolished it, and so forth. And there's truth in that. But once you have been betrayed to the level that Santa Ana had betrayed the colonists, and all of the Federalists across Mexico, you're never going to trust him again. So this, this effort to rehabilitate his reputation leaves out the facts about his personality and the facts about his betrayal, um, which I don't think is, is fair to the history. I don't think it's fair even to Santa Ana, who was a terrible individual. i got about a minute left uh, with Brian Preston. Brian, how's this playing in Texas? I mean, is this a big deal down there? In San Antonio, is it something they're talking about a lot, or how defensive are people of the Alamo in Texas? That's a fascinating question, John, because you get you get a, you get a variety of reaction. There are essentially two Alamos in the public consciousness here. There's the, the Alamo everyone knows of the heroic battle and the heroes who died defending it, and then there's this other cast to it, this leftist cast that it was something else. And so you're get, you're getting those reactions based on based on where someone comes from. Now the majority opinion by far is that the Alamo was a, 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 is a symbol of heroism and a symbol of Texas. So folks who are reading this political article that I that I take on, they're extremely unhappy about it, but they're also happy somebody stepping up and speaking up for the Alamo. Well, I appreciate you coming on, and I think I might have told you this before. We might have been talking about this before. I went to the Alamo a long time ago, and I, uh, I remember seeing a locket of Davy Crockett's hair. That, right. uh, that's something that's always stuck with me. That I couldn't believe I was looking at it. Because, you know, again, as I said, I, uh, you know, Fess Parker and the Disney and, uh, you know, Davy, Davy Crockett. I remember all that. That's a million <laughs> years ago. But, but, hey, Brian, always good to have you on. You've got some great stuff you write there at PJ Media, and uh, you're kind of my, one of my, um, my Texas correspondents. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you, John. I appreciate that. That's quite an honor. All right. That's, uh, that's it from Brian Preston. We'll be right back. There are ideas and ideologies afoot in our culture today, lurking beneath the surface. Fault Lines is a book that will help you discern these worldviews and ideas, help you understand what they are and where they come from. Critical race theory, social justice, intersectionality. We've all heard these terms, but most of us have no idea what they mean. Fault Lines will not only help you understand the meaning of these words, but it will also help you understand the ideologies behind them. Fault Lines is a book for our day, for our time, 
for this moment because I'm not talking about something that's coming. I'm talking about something that's here, something that has to be confronted now. This is Vodi Bakum, and I want to encourage you to buy my new book, Fault Lines, available everywhere books are sold, April 6th. Your business is ready for a reboot, a recharge. The way our companies operate has changed. Adapting to the changes hasn't been easy, but never more important to succeed. Many of the digital resources available have helped overcome obstacles your business is facing. But are you using the full potential of every one of them? That's where Salem Surround can help. Your business needs to use digital tools more than ever to stay in touch with customers, making buying decisions right now and for the future. Will they consider or even know about you? The marketing team at Salem Surround gives you the tools needed to stand out and be visible to current and potential customers online right now looking for what you do. We'll design a plan that targets and surrounds customers with proven marketing strategies. Contact Salem Surround for a free evaluation of your marketing plan and see how we can help place your advertising message in front of today's consumers. Learn more at surroundpittsburgh.com. Surroundpittsburgh.com. Connecting you with new customers. This is the John Stacker Walt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. Yeah, I think you'd have to be of a certain age to understand what a big deal uh, Davy Crockett was. I'm looking at it here. Uh, Davy Crockett from Walt Disney, 1955. So I was like seven years old when it first showed up on TV. Uh, and it was on for a while. But... Um, Every, just, but you have to understand that it's hard for people who uh, aren't as old and ancient as I am to remember when there were not 150 TV channels. There was Channel 4, there was Channel 2, there was Channel 11, and we didn't even get Channel 4 very well. Uh, so you, you watched, you had like two and a half channels to watch. So if something like Davy Crockett came on, every single kid you knew, every single kid that you saw in school on Monday morning, had seen the Davy Crockett show that night. And um, they sold the coonskin caps uh, everywhere, and kids were wearing them outside to play, and you were outside, you know, you're playing, uh, pretending you were Davy Crockett and being Davy Crockett at the Alamo. So, of course, uh, down in Texas, there are people trying to destroy that legend, and uh, they're coming after everything. But uh, I'm glad to have Brian Preston on. He writes some really good stuff. He's one of my favorite guests, and I'm sure I'll have him on again. And it's, a lot of it is about Texas, but there's a lot of strange and interesting things happening in Texas. So uh, we'll have him on again. But thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. The John Staggerwald Show is a production of the Answer Pittsburgh and Salem Media Group.